Welcome to People's Church Podcast. We've been dealing with the idea of fresh hope. And right in the midst of maybe some of the world's worst moments, we're going to be talking about peace today. A time when we don't really have the kind of situations and issues that we see emerging in ever-increasing ways in our society, free societies around the world, and the tragedies of just what this planet can throw at us. Let me do a little bit of a quiz with you. I want you to complete these sentences. I'm ready to throw in... Oh, good. All right. I'm at the end of my... I'm just a bundle of... My life is falling. I'm at my wits. You guys are good when it comes to anxiety. I feel like resigning from... The human race, ha <laughs> caught you. You didn't get 100%. Stress is uh, a lack of peace. The more that stress moves into the negatives of anxiety, we tend to actually lose something that's extremely strong in our lives. We don't think of peace as strength, but it is. Peace is having a very strong core that controls your body, your soul, your mind, your heart. It's all controlled by the quality of the peace that you have. History teaches us that where there is, where there is peace, there is also affluence and, and freedom. People are free to pursue their dreams. Wherever there is peace, we don't worry about a lot of threats to us. We're not living on the edge of catastrophe. We're not hiding out in some, as Gideon was, in some hole in the ground. Peace is the sought after condition. The world recognizes this. It just can't produce it. In fact, out of we could go back about 3,500 years in history and know that out of 3,500 years, they've charted that we only have about 283 years of peace. That's stunning when you think about it. Peace. We wouldn't think of it as something that's very strong. We often think of it as just something that you hope you have. Actually, peace is something you need, your family needs, your mind needs, your spirit needs. It is core and foundational, in fact, to all the needs of your life. It says in the scriptures, the fruit of the spirit is peace. That's an interesting fruit. It's an inter We're going to talk today about fruit a fair bit. And this one. And why this one is, because this is the one I think we don't really understand to a certain degree. It's strength, it's need. Here where it's identified as actually a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life, your mind, your heart. 
Proverbs 14.30 says, a peaceful mind gives life to the body. Joining the mind and the body together and saying, it's peace, it's peaceful heart, your interior and a peaceful interior that will give you actually better health and your body even responds to peace on the inside. In fact, a lot of the conditions that people deal with physically today are internally first the source and realization of those physical components of disease. What goes on in your mind and in your heart matters to your physical health. One of the great ways to improve your health is to change the way that you react and respond to things around you. Well, that is peace that needs to be that component. What is it that disturbs your peace or is this disturbing your peace in this very moment? It may be things within your family. It might be things within your health. It might be things within you that have been there a long, long time and they've been nothing but a disturbance of peace. It might be external things like financials. It really doesn't matter the external so much as how your response and reaction is on the internal. There are people that are just want to make war. They want to make war because in their hearts are wrong. It's not a condition of some exterior thing. It's first a condition of the heart. The Bible's very clear that it's out of the heart that the mouth is going to speak. The mouth representing the physical elements are going to act. You're going to be responsive to whatever is in the heart. If you have hatred in your heart, that is going to cause you grief from your physical body right through. And it's going to create wars in your life. Many of them, most of them, in fact, unnecessary. Let me give you three kinds of peace that the Bible identifies. The Bible has a lot to say about this. First, spiritual peace. This is fundamental. If this one's missing, the other two, you have no source outside of what the world provides to try to achieve peace, which means that your peace moves off and on all the time. It means that in 3,500 years of history, you're gonna have 263 of peace. It means that within your relationship of 40 years of marriage or 60 years of marriage or whatever God graces you with, you're gonna have only a few years of peace because you see you're in reaction. You react. You have no other filter. You have no other ability to be able to create strength. Spiritual. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace. Notice this. We have peace with God. Do you know what that means? You are at war with God. That's what rebellion is. That's what sin is. Sin comes out of man's rebellion. Rebellion is the permanency of sin. Rebellion is a state of sin that hasn't changed. It won't change. Rebellion is never friendly to God. It's always independent from God and desires to be God. Genesis 3, the temptation all over again. So what we have is this need for peace but we are cut off from he who is the source of peace. We live in a rebellious state and that's got to end. And the only way that can end is your surrender to him. You don't win against God. 
You might live like you do, but you don't win. You lose every time. So rebellion is not just an act, it's a state. It's a state of being against. That's the foundation and that's the bottom line. We have to have peace with God before he can have any other kind of peace that's going to have any kind of lasting effect or anything that's going to be that strength in your life. It can only be really strong if you have peace with God. Peace with God was a book, Billy Graham, he, he wrote a book entitled that years and years, decades ago. It was just simply entitled Peace with God. What is it? The simple gospel. We are in a state of rebellion and sin before God. Jesus came and died for our sins so that we might be at peace with God. We drop our weapons. You had picked up weapons against God. You weren't just having sin. You were in a state of sin. No other state was possible. You were ruled by it. But Jesus made the way for peace with God. The second form of peace is emotional peace. This is the one that you really desire the most. You need peace with God the most. But the second peace is what you really desire. And this is where the, the peace of God, no matter what you go through, first you get the peace with God and then you get the peace of God. This is emotional peace. This is, an, this is a sense of having a, an internal sense of well-being and order. How are you doing? Feeling peaceful, feeling strong. I just I have a sense of great well-being inside and a sense of order. It's not like I'm being driven here and there or things out of disorder. I feel like I'm dealing with life from a position of strength. Emotional peace. Colossians 3, 15 says, and the peace of Christ must control your heart. Peace into which you were called in one body and be thankful people. This is an incredible scripture. Uh, this scripture, he, he starts off and he's saying the peace of Christ must control your heart. So as a believer, as a Christian, you are in a discipling or a growing mode. You're learning. You're moving from immaturity to maturity. What does maturity look like? This is huge. The peace of Christ ruling your heart. Not the peace of a circumstance that has been right-sided. Not because things are pretty easy right now in different areas. The wars are not too great. The peace of Christ must control or rule. It's an interesting word, rule. In the Greek, it's only used one time in the scriptures here, but it, 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 in the Greek, it's a word that means umpire. Strike, ball, you're out, safe. What does the umpire do? Control the game. He makes sure the game is being called accurately, truthfully. Now I've seen the umpire in the World Series make a few bad decisions. But we're talking about an umpire beyond an umpire. The peace of Christ 
in your life, calling the game, your heart responding to the umpire, where the peace, I'm at peace with God, and I have the peace of God. I just let the umpire call it. If he says strike, I deal with it. If he says ball, I deal with it. If he says home run, I go, yeah. Peace, the umpire, the interpreter of the game. The one it is, can we say, controlling the thing. God gives you this internal governor. A governor that keeps you at peace even when everything else is just going nuts around you. Have you ever heard anybody say recently, I just need to get away. Have you ever heard it? Okay, that was you. I just need to get away. That was in those last 10 days of October where it was really winter already and now we're like, they said it's going to be like 10 degrees next Thursday or Friday or something like that. I say we all go water skiing at Lake Saskatoon just so that we can just say we did it. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just things to say we did that. Those polar bear swims, that's for idiots. I mean, <laughs> we need to say this, I need to get away because we're looking for escape. Getting back some form of controls. Has there ever been any of you that have been so tired at night that when you fall into bed, your mind won't turn off? Has anybody ever experienced that? You can't get away from circumstances. What peace is, peace is, is like something that we wouldn't really think of, but right in the middle of this trauma, right in the middle of this is this quiet zone, this strength that isn't disturbed. Everything else is moving. But in the center is this place of, there's just not, there's no war. Because I have peace with God and I have the peace of God and I'm sitting in a place of strength. You also need relational peace. Third kind, relational peace. Relational peace is, not totally in your ballpark to create, but you can have peace of mind and heart in the middle of relational disturbance also, but you do want relational peace. Romans 12, 18 through 21 says, if possible, more or less right away it says, it's not all in your control. The moment it says possible, if possible, it's saying if you can create this with another person, then do this. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. We tend to, if somebody picks a war with us, we just pick up the arms. Like we're ready. You want to fight? Let's have a fight. Linda, you want another fight? Then let's really have a fight. That, that is not making peace. If it's possible, to the best of your ability, to live at peace with all people. What do you mean all people? God, have you met some of the people I'm around? 
Yeah, he knows them. And he says, as much as it's possible, you live at peace with them all. You're not going to be able to control all the outcomes, but you must choose the path of peace. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath. Now we like to jump to that and say, oh yeah. I'm just going to choose the path of peace and then God's going to whack you good. You mess with me, you get his. That's actually not what we're seeing here. What we're seeing is that Instead of playing God, let God play God because he'll deal with it correctly, justly, fairly, patiently, with grace and truth at the same time. God will deal with them. You deal with you. It's hard to leave people like that uh, to themselves, so to speak, and then trust that God's going to actually work it out because I know what's going to happen, God. You're going to work it out with grace. That was Jonah's deal. Do you remember the story of Jonah, the guy that got swallowed by the great fish, gets vomited out, smells terrible, goes to Nineveh, does what he was called to do by God, and then he is sitting out on a hillside after delivering this message, repent or you're going to die. God's going to judge you in, in uh, 40 days. And God didn't. Because the people repented. Starting with the king all the way through of this city that was really lost. in some pretty bad behaviors. Deep rebellions. Jonah's on the side of the hill and he's complaining to God. And he says, God. I knew that you were going to forgive them. Isn't that something? Jonah's mad. He wants to deliver the wrath. And he's saying, I'm going to sit here and pout until you wipe them out. That is an attitude that does not belong in the Christian heart. If that is there, deep repentance is required. Blindness must go and we must see it for what it is. God, on the other hand, responded to the repentance. Many times we don't respond to the repentance. Well, I want to prove it to me before. I'll, I'll believe you. Trust God. He'll do the right thing. That scripture goes on and it says, My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, here's what I want you to do. And this is really cool. If your enemy is hungry, shoot him. If he's thirsty, put him in the middle of the desert. does exact opposite. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. He's giving you the actions. He's saying, don't take my actions. You leave all that stuff to me because I got it. On this one, he's just saying, here's my actions I want you to do. Hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. What does that mean? 
Well, actually, it has a lot to do with conviction of sin. You actually make their sin appear so obvious so that they know what they're doing is wrong and others around will know that they are wrong and it will feed into a potential repentance because it's so obvious by your actions of feeding them when they're hungry, giving them water when they're thirsty, that all of a sudden they're in a place of, wow, does that ever look bad? Those burning fiery coals are the coals that are convicting. It's, it's, it's a reference back to an Old Testament tabernacle. Tabernacle was just resting. Causes conviction. And then it ends with this. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. Basically, it's a math. It's a math. It's a formula. He's basically saying, if you try to defeat evil with evil, you just double the evil. The only way that you can actually defeat evil is with good. You must do good. You want to defeat evil in your family, do good. You say, but. Do good. They're hungry, feed them, thirsty, you know. Give them, give them water to drink so on those days your kids aren't, aren't really being so nice. And you're thinking, ooh, God, bring the wrath. God says, no, keep feeding them. Give them some good water. You know, look after them. Do the opposite because that's where conviction is birthed. It's birthed in the difference. Why should a Christian live well in the midst of these circumstances? Because it increases conviction. It increases the difference. It puts pressure where there is wrong things before God. It allows the person to see and the world to know that one is right and one is wrong on this. Let's go over five practices that bring peace of mind above circumstances. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace, I leave with you. Isn't that interesting? Okay. This is right before his crucifixion, okay? So this is right in the same time zone. And he's saying, what I'm going to leave with you guys, he starts off with this. I'm going to leave peace with you. Why would he choose peace? Why didn't he say something else? Why, why not, you know, uh, I'll, I'll leave with you patience? No, he said peace. I'm going to leave with you peace. Because peace is the great arbiter of things in our life. And when we have peace, we are able to more clearly see what we need to do and have the strength to do it. To forgive takes a peaceful heart. You must have a peace different than the world gives or that, that relationship has given you. That's the world. So that's giving you a certain kind of war. He's saying, I'm, li I'm leaving with you peace. This is going to be the most amazing card for you to play in life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. He, you see, the world doesn't, it doesn't have a source of peace because it's a heart deal peace, see? And all of our hearts are fallen 
and we need to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we now have the opportunity to live in a peace beyond what the relationship uh, delivers to you or the finances delivered to you or the world conditions delivered to you or choices of your family delivered to you. Then he says, don't be troubled or afraid. Why that at the end of this my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. I give I this peace to you. Why? Why? Because it's, they don't function together. If you've got the peace of Christ, don't be troubled or afraid. It's a choice column. It's not a has to be this way. It's a choice column. No, you don't have to have these wars. You're going to have circumstances that are always challenging and always beyond your abilities and your strength to deal with it. But you don't have to be at war with it. When you're at war, all the weapons are up. Your tenseness is there. It's about you winning, not you growing. Not God's redemptive purposes being served. The first practice of building peace of mind, obediently practice God's principles. Do you know that forgiveness is a principle of God? And when you practice that, peace is a fruit of that practice. When we practice the principles of God that we know that he's laid out for relationships, for faith, in, in economics, for how we look at the world, the lenses that we see the world through, and, and when we recognize God's principles, and there's many of them, then frankly, things go better. Peace in the heart builds peace of mind. Psalms 119, 165 to 167 says, the people, who love, the people who love your instruction, that's his laws, that's his principles. The people who love your instruction enjoy peace. And lots of it. If you're at war a lot in your relationship, don't tell me you're enjoying God's principles because God's principles are for you to be patient, to be forgiving, to be understanding. God has all kinds of principles for you to be loving and tender. These are laws of God. These are things that he tells us. And if we act in these ways, we will have a peace of heart that's above. It exists above what's being delivered to you in all of the flaws of this world and all of the flaws of human relationships. He goes in on, he says, there is no stumbling for them. Strength, strength. Lord, I wait for your saving help. I do what you've commanded. I keep your laws. I love them so much. Apply that to your relational world. Apply that to economics. Apply that to your health struggle. Apply that to the weights and the burdens that come in your life. Apply that to the invitations to war that you get all the time, every day, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at your own house or whether you're on the phone, you're getting invitations for a fight all the time. 
Now you can go fight all those. But you will be disobeying the principles that give you peace of mind and peace of heart. Secondly, live a life of God's pardon. What are we talking about here? See, you have to trust that God's grace is deeper than any of sin in your life, that you have come in to God's grace. You don't yet have to receive it. You have received it. That you are meant to live now in grace with yourself. There is no condemnation for those that walk not after the flesh, but they live by the Spirit of God. That, that means that when we understand peace and the Spirit function together, that, and when grace is delivered to your human heart and all of your past, present, and future sins, that he has already delivered you from the outcome of spiritual death and that he has out, uh, delivered you from eternal death. He has already given you eternal life. It's not yet to be given. You can live right now in the peace of God. And you say, but I sinned yesterday, or I sinned last night, or I sinned this morning. Yeah. Yes, you did. And every one of those sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have received Christ as your Savior, he has saved you from past, present, and future sins. It is a cleansed thing. Why do I need to repent? Because in your repentance, you can adjust your behavior. Repentance is meant to adjust your behavior. So that's why Christians repent. Lord, I want your help in adjusting this behavior. I want you to reinforce the right choices. And Lord, thank you for the ongoing grace that I live in with the wrong choices. But may those choices only push me more into your grace and changing to honor you and that I am actually functioning within the grace of God right now. That brings me peace. Micah 7.18 says, There is no other God like you, O Lord. You forgive the sins of your people. You do not stay angry forever, but you take pleasure in showing us your constant love. Wow. You know that guilt is the number one destroyer of peace? Do you not understand that that was all paid for? He's not going to go back to the cross for each sin that you sin. It's all one deal, one package, one one outcome, one covenant. It's over, it's done. You say, but my life doesn't reflect perfection. No, but that will be the outcome of the faith that you trust God in and the grace that he gives you. And that's why there's never an excuse for a Christian to sit on the sidelines and say, oh, I failed too much. I have done too many wrong things. And then you want to go back into a rebellion state with God. I can't do your will. I can't fix this family. I can't be a part of something good like this. I don't deserve it. That's the whole point. You don't. But you got it. When you slip back into that defeatism, you're stepping into something that's not meant for you. You are preserving something that doesn't even exist and that's that you are guilty before God and that you will pay with the ultimate price because you have crossed some line that, that where God's grace does not go to. Do you not get it? There is no place God's grace does not go to. 
When you've accepted Christ, you've got the whole package and it's a done deal. Pardon. To live within it and not always be haunted and chased by guilt in your life. Somebody might find out. They'll know my skeleton. That's your pride. Yeah, it might come out. But you have peace with God. And to have the peace of God, you live within the pardon of God. Oftentimes, many of us struggle with this. And the enemy is, this is his favorite stuff. Guilt and shame where there is no guilt and shame. You've already turned to Christ and received the grace, the complete package. And now you are in a place where you want to return and say, I don't deserve it. That should have been figured out on day one. It's not about you deserving it. You see in the scripture in Micah how willing and eager God is just to wipe the slate clean. You accept God's pardon. Third, focus on God's presence. This is an important step. This is a hard thing. Practice the presence of God. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. What an incredible portion of scripture. If your mind is focused on Christ's presence, you're practicing his presence, you recognize he's with you, he's not running away from you one day and then back with you the next day, but running away at one moment, he's with you all the time. And when you practice that peace, that presence, there is a perfect peace because your mind is controlled by the presence. It's stayed on his presence with me. He hasn't run from me. And then it says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. More or less, the more that you understand this incredible grace that you live in, the presence of Jesus with you, that brings to you this life and peace. God is with your loved ones that have passed on if they knew Jesus. You can have peace about that. There's a peace that you can have. You can have, about, you can have peace about any, any loss in life if you will be spiritually minded. Psalm 46.10 says, and you know this one, be still and know that I am God. Just be still and know that I am God. Actually, verse 1 starts off, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You combine those verses, 1 and 10, and you've got this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Be still and know that I am God. David didn't write this particular psalm. It was written during the time of Hezekiah. The nation of Israel is under attack by an enemy nation. The capital city of Jerusalem was surrounded by 180,000 Assyrian soldiers. Sennacherib was leading the attack on Israel and Jerusalem was surrounded by all of these soldiers. And of course, everybody's uptight. They knew they were going to get it. But then they prayed 
this prayer that we just read. Five minutes before noon, God smote the Assyrians with a plague. Many of them died. It was a tremendous victory. The city was saved. Everybody else was happy. That's the background when they said, God is our refuge. He is our strength, even in this present situation, and ever-present help in trouble. By the way, we're seeing that in the modern-day world right now. This psalm gives two things. Two things about how to be in peace in the midst of trouble. The first is, it says, be still. Be still. Boy, that is one of the hardest. It is like telling a, a three-year-old with ADD, sit, shh, quiet. To be still. Pascal said most of man's problems come from his inability to just sit still. Just to sit still is one of the most intimidating things to do. When we just honored our vets and our country with a moment of silence, it could be the most uncomfortable thing for people. Silence, being still. And then he says, secondly, know that I am God. Be still, but then have this knowledge. I am God. You know that in the middle of a hurricane or a tornado, right in the middle is what they call the quiet center. It's amazing. I mean, the, everything else around that the, that, that the storm is hitting is just completely being turned upside down, blown over, blown down the street. Everything's just paying a punishment price from the storm. But then there's that quiet center. And that quiet center is where the presence of God, what it can bring into your life, I think there's so much in nature that teaches us how God functions with us and invites us into. In this world, you will have tribulations. He said, Jesus said it. But I have overcome the world. In this storm, you're going to have a lot of problems, a lot of stirs, but there's going to be a place where I will be with you. And it will be quiet. Be still. And know that I am God. Fourthly, trust God's purpose. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Have you ever found that when your heart is so stirred up and your mind's so much at war that it's so hard, so confusing about what directions and decisions to make? It can be so hard to find clarity of these things. Where do you get that kind of clarity in the middle of normal life where we got these storms and wars and invitations coming at us for personal wars? We see it in the world itself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Ah, oh, but the... It, the leaning to my own understanding, I mean, this is where we reference all points. I understand they want war, and I understand right now, I think I do too. That's my understanding. No, no, trust in the Lord first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, internal. You know all that internal stuff that wants to take charge in those moments? Just kind of say, uh 
And you look to God in trust. He's got purpose in this moment. Purpose in you being there at that moment. He's got purpose. There's four verbs in here. Three are commands and one is a promise. The first one is trust. Trust. Second, lean. Third, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Acknowledge him. Trust, lean, acknowledge. Trust, lean, acknowledge. You get those three things right, I guarantee you do really well. And then you get the promise. And the promise is simply this. I will direct your path. I'll give you clarity. I'll show you how we walk through this. I'll show you how we get from A to B here. I will show you the path I want you to take. You can hear it. You see, a lot of times when people are going through personal pain, they really think they know what they're doing, but it's the pain directing them, and it's not God. You must, you must be willing to trust. You must be willing to lean, and you must be willing to acknowledge. And if you do those three verbs, you take action in trust, you take action in leaning on God, and now you take action in acknowledging, then frankly, don't worry about the clarity or not knowing what to do. He will, he will speak to you, and you will know what to do. In fact, often why we don't want to trust and lean and acknowledge is because we want to stay in control of direction. So we'd rather be at war and choose the direction we wish. Trust is the idea that there's a lot of things in life won't make sense. A lot of things that you just can't control. What do you do in those? You trust, because that's all you can do. Sometimes it takes a long time to get there. But that's where you, in a healthy way, will end up in that, I just trust, there's no answer. Lean. Basically, don't try and figure this all out on your own. Two common problems in life that cause stress, uh, and that is illness and death, and we always ask this, why? Why, God? Why? Lean. How do you have peace in lost situations? You trust, you lean. You don't lean into your own understanding. You don't try to figure it all out because you recognize that all that that does is actually work against peace. Grieving is not not having peace. Grieving is loss, the missing of, the adjusting to, the huge gaps. You're not going to have the wise, but you'll have his presence, you'll have his purpose, and you must trust that purpose. You must not lean on your own understanding, and you must acknowledge him. And then he will give you a direction through that. Lastly today. Practice God's cycle of peace. You can do this one right now. 
Here's the one you can, man, you can get this cycle going. Here's his cycle of peace for you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. Don't worry about anything. Oh, right. Don't worry about anything. Anything. Do you know what diagnosis I'm waiting for maybe? Do you know what seems to be just around the corner economically? Do you know what loss I'm about to experience? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about, what's the word? Everything? What do you mean? Like, like little stuff, medium stuff, big stuff? Yeah, he means it all. More or less this constant positioning before God that you know as you process life, it is always through a prayerful lens of leaning into him. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him. There's a cycle right there. You do those two things. We'll read on in a second, but you do those two things. Tell God about your needs. And don't forget to be thankful. That's such an incredible cycle. So what he says is, if you will tell me your needs and you are thankful to me for my answers, whatever they may be for you, if you do this, you will experience God's peace. Which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Hold it, you're telling me this simple little cycle is going to produce God's peace for me in everything in life? Yes. It's simple to read. It's against your nature. How many here are great for helping, asking for help from another person? How many just say, yeah, I can ask for help. No problem. It's easy, you know. No, it's hard. I've done so many jobs alone because I didn't want to ask for help. In fact, you start to figure out as a guy that you can actually, you know, it'll take you 10 times longer, but you can actually learn how to be on a ladder, have this tool in this hand, this other hand available for holding this in place, and you can actually with your head balance it, and then with your feet you could reach over here. You understand what I'm talking about? Been there, done that. He's saying if you're willing to humble yourself and ask, that's what it takes. That's why it's so hard. Ask. And then be thankful. What does that mean? When you're thankful, you're affirming God's power. God's goodness to you, his partnership and leadership in your life, and you are really increasing your surrender and your humbleness before him. You're affirming that process. So ask and be thankful. Simple to read. But if you do this, if you grow in this, you mature in this, you mature in your life and your relationships and your challenges and your, your, your fights... 
If you do this, you will experience God's peace. That's a promise out of the scripture. That's a promise. Which is far more wonderful than human nature can understand. One more scripture to finish off today. When you're willing to acknowledge that God is in control, then you are willing to experience something that is beyond circumstances. If you do not want to acknowledge God's control over these things in your life, that he's over it all, then you have no reference point to put it into an understanding or into a trust with God. But if you're willing to acknowledge that God is in control of all things and you say, but these things happened. Yes, they happened. God allowed it. Of course he allowed it. He doesn't cause everything, but he will allow it. And when God allows it, you've got one place to go. And it's not the question why all the time. Because that'll just end up being a cycle that increases your fears, anxiety, discouragements, lack of faith, and lack of peace. If you're willing to acknowledge he's in control then what you are making possible for you is a peace that exceeds is well beyond the circumstantial drivenness of your life. And you will be able to function with a strength that you shouldn't have because it's not from you, it's from him. One scripture, Jesus said it, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Again, this is not long before his crucifixion. And he's telling them, I'm going to be making a place ready for you. I mean, I've got so much preparation for you in your life. And after you die, I've got everything prepared. Now, trust me. Trust God. Trust me. So whatever it is in our life this morning that's disturbing your peace, whatever invitations to war that you're accepting, choose a different model. Choose a model. Praise about everything. And thanks God for his answers. And you will have God's peace. As we close, what, what, what is it right now on your heart that's disturbed your peace? What war are you in right now? You might be in several. If you're normal, you're probably in several. You got a war with this person over here, a war with that person over there, a war with this circumstance in your money, a war with this circumstance uh, that I'm trying to make peace, but this guy won't make peace or she won't make peace. Or I've, I've got all kinds of wars I've taken up. But man, I am getting so tired. Why do you think you're getting so tired? Why do you think energy is not a part of your living? Why do you think you find yourself like you're drowning all the time? It's because you're fighting all the time. And battles you don't need to have. The energy of God is found within the peace of God which rules your life. Your heart and your mind. And it's good for your body. It's not a little thing. I look forward to Wednesday night diving deeper with you. Let's uh, stand together. You might be here or watching online 
and you don't have the first layer of peace, which is peace with God. You can't actually make peace with God. It's impossible because you are in a state of rebellion. We all have been there. What we need to do is recognize we can't actually make that peace. We can only accept the peace that he has made through Jesus. God made peace with you. You know, you hear that old saying, make peace, make your peace with God. Well, actually, that only makes sense if you're coming from the format that says God made peace with you. And now peace is possible, but you must choose that peace. You actually can't make peace on your terms. There is no peace on your terms. That's like God and I are in a battle and we negotiated an outcome. There's no negotiation in this. It's either accept or reject. To have the peace with God, you must accept the peace he paid for because of his love for you. He wants peace with you. He wants you to lay down your arms. He wants you to surrender your life. He wants you to begin to learn the power of peace with God so that you can live in the peace of God. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'm going to offer a prayer that you can make your own, but it must be your own. It's got to come from a surrendered heart. One in which you're willing to trust him with your sins. The forgiveness of those. The cleansing of that. Brand new slate. A new life in which sins can't stick to you. They don't define you anymore. And now you can grow in a life of righteousness and become more mature in your practices. And that will honor God and build with people. Let's bow our heads. If you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior today, here's a little prayer that you can offer and start with accepting the peace that God offers you. And you might say something like this, Father, I'm done with the war. It's me that kept it up. You're the one that already made the path of peace. It's through Jesus. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior from my sins. I recognize my state of rebellion to you. I recognize that I have served me. And I accept this grace, this mercy, this forgiveness of sin. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life and train me in righteousness where peace of mind and heart are experienced in strength and I'm not taking up all the wars that the world will offer me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I surrender my life and receive you, Christ. For us as believers, make peace. Keep it going. you got ability to make peace as much as it is possible. Make peace. Live in peace. Because you've got peace with God, now you can live in the peace of God. Don't take up wars. Don't. What you want to do is learn how to move away from always being a reaction to what comes your way. 
Father, we thank you. May your spirit teach us, help us to carry out asking, surrender in such a humble way to ask and then to be thankful and say, oh my, it's all from you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this answer. To stay in this dependent, beautiful place with the Lord who loves us so much and with the peace that he brings. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.